Well, I'm going to invite you to to turn to Hebrews chapter 7 this morning. We're going to begin there. Hebrews 7. Coming to church. Um, You're all here for various reasons. Yes, you're part of the worship service. And for some, you're here because you had it modeled for you early on. Uh, And over time, you've come to see and understand the spiritual need to be here. Um, And for some, it it has historically seemed the right thing to do. It's what we've always done. And I would venture to say that for most everyone at some point, there has been a need for hope. Hope for the day. Hope for eternity. Hope for how we deal with all our mess of stuff. And each one of us has our own mess of stuff. And sometimes, some days, feelings of doubts arise. You're here in need of a reminder. And we need to be reminded. We need the, rem- we need the reminder that, <laughs> that we can trust what is in here. That we can trust what's in God's Word. And sometimes we need it explained. Uh, because we're not the original audience. You, you hear me ask two questions regularly. What does it mean and why does it matter? What does it mean and why does it matter? It's like when a family moves into a new area and a new school or a new new pastor comes to a new church. Uh, They don't know all that's gone on before. And they're trying to get caught up, get up to speed, and, 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 and while they don't necessarily need to know every blessed detail, (laughs) there are some things that will help make the journey, the, the life journey and, and the life experience better. And the writer to the Hebrews, the anonymous writer of this letter which we've been reading, the writer to the Hebrews is communicating initially with a Jewish audience who has grown up in the synagogue but they've come to faith in Jesus. They've seen Jesus to be the fulfillment of all that they've known and learned and heard from their time growing up in the synagogue, temple, and, and they're hearing, they've heard priests recite God's Word. You know, we don't talk about priests and sacrifices. We don't talk about things like that. We're familiar with things like preachers and, and Sunday school and church dinners and, and things like that. And while the language here might seem foreign and weird to us, the, the original audience would pick right up on it. And if we can understand their background just a little bit better, it it will ultimately help us to understand who Jesus is as our help. There's days we don't feel like Jesus is there. But if we understand what God's Word says, the reality is that Jesus is there, whether we feel like it or not. 
And we need to understand what this says and, and why it matters. Jesus is our help. Jesus is our hope. Jesus as our high priest. One who has made the ultimate self-sacrifice for us. Dying on the cross to address the sin problem that plagues every one of us. A couple of chapters back, the writer to the Hebrews brought up a name that only shows up a couple of times in the Bible. Only shows up a couple of times. A man named Melchizedek. A man who, in some ways, foreshadows the ministry that Jesus will come to provide. Hebrews chapter 7 begins this way. Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham as Abraham was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed Abraham. Melchizedek, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth or a tithe of all these spoils, spoils of war. Melchizedek, by the translation of his name, that name means king of righteousness and and then also king of Salem, or the word Salem means peace. So who is Melchizedek? You're thinking two things. Number one, who is Melchizedek? And number two, boy, I'm glad he didn't preach about this on Mother's Day. <laughs> okay? I'm with you. Who is this man? Well, this man shows up after a war in the ancient Near East. Way back in Genesis 14. In Genesis 14, and Abraham's nephew Lot, you've heard of, some of you have heard of Lot, is captured by armies of some renegade pagan kings. And Lot lives in Sodom. Yes, you've heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot lives in Sodom, and Sodom has been invaded. And in Genesis 14, when Abraham learns that his nephew has been kidnapped from Sodom, Abraham, old man, old man father Abraham, he and, and several hundred of his trained men pursue the invaders and they beat them soundly. You didn't realize that old man Abraham was a, a man of war, but he was. Well, after Abraham's victorious return, the king of Sodom, we kind of wonder where he was in all this, but he comes out to meet Abraham in a place called the, the King's Valley. And Melchizedek the king of Salem brings out bread and wine, and now Melchizedek is a priest of God Most High. And what's weird about this to us, maybe not at first listen, but if you think about it for too long, this is what you, you ask. He's a priest, but wait, I didn't think priests showed up until God and... Moses and Aaron and Mount Sinai and all this stuff. We have priests here? Well, Melchizedek shows up and he comes out and he blesses Abraham and he says, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies, Abraham, into your hand. And then Abraham gives Melchizedek a tithe of these spoils of war. And that's it. Not much is known about this man. 
He's pretty unique. We know he's a king and we know he's a priest. Well, the writer to the Hebrews, in verse 3, sets up this man of mystery and he says the following. Melchizedek, without father, without mother. Again, another good reason you don't preach about it on Mother's Day. (laughs) Melchizedek, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. There's a Bible teacher named Peterson, and he says the following. In a culture where genealogies or the study of family trees, and that's even a big deal today, isn't it? Ancestry.com and, and so on and so forth. In a culture where genealogies were important for evaluating the legitimacy of a person's priesthood, Melchizedek is acknowledged as a priest of God, but no record is given about his origin. It's, it's like he is without father or mother, without a family tree. And see, this is all we know. And then Peterson continues, he says, Nevertheless, when Abraham returns from the the defeat of the kings, Melchizedek blesses him, and then Abraham gives him this tithe, what happens? Abraham is acknowledging the authenticity of this man's priesthood by giving him a tithe. What does it mean? Why does it matter to us? I'll tell you. As suddenly as Melchizedek appears in the, in the narrative, Peterson continues, he, he says, as suddenly as he appears in this narrative, Melchizedek disappears. Which gives rise to this comment that he is without beginning of days or end of life, and, and these words are best understood in the light of this idea of he's without father or mother. He's great. Melchizedek is great, but he's not supernatural. A lot of things have been written about the Bible. And there are some who have said that this man Melchizedek is actually Jesus in the Old Testament. He points to Jesus' ministry. He's not Jesus, and I'll tell you why. Melchizedek is a priest. What, we're going to, what you've heard me say before and what you're going to hear me say before we leave today is that Jesus had to become a priest. Jesus has not always functioned as a priest. He will become a priest really through the crucifixion, through his suffering. So technically, Jesus can't be Melchizedek. Melchizedek's ministry points to Jesus. Melchizedek is great, but he's not supernatural. And this is all we know about him. But he points to the ministry that Jesus will have, a ministry that matters ultimately because this means that you and I can come in here on a Sunday morning and have our sins forgiven. That's why it matters. The writer is building his case to the audience and he's trying to communicate to them the sufficiency of Jesus being the high priest. And then the writer to the Hebrews makes a comparison to these normal, natural, everyday type priests with which the audience would be familiar. He talks about the Levites. 
they, they have a commandment in the law to collect a tithe from all these Israelite brothers and sisters. These sons of Levi. These are the priests which this, the Jews have served, these priests have served them for years. But Melchizedek is not like them. He can't be traced from them. As we saw, Melchizedek predates them by years and years and years. So it's, it's just kind of different. It's, it's just kind of unique and odd. And verse 11, in essence, states that these everyday priests, through the law, attempt to point the Israelites to sinlessness. That's part of their function. They would make sacrifices for their flock. Where I pray for you, and I encourage you, and you come and you share and you talk to me, I don't, I don't make a sacrifice for you like a priest because I point you to Jesus who's, who is your sacrifice. But I encourage you and I pray with you as your pastor. But I don't function as a priest making a sacrifice. But if you've got these Levitical priests, this writer says, so what further need was there for another priest? Because, well, this is why. These priests can't provide perfection. There has to be a change. And the priesthood is going to change. Jesus becomes high priest. And then the writer says in verse 13, Jesus, about whom all this is written, he belongs to another tribe. All right, Jake, what's this about a tribe? For it's evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. All right, Christmas time... We talk about Jesus being born where? Bethlehem, city of David in the land of Judah. Messiah is going to come forth from the land of Judah. Messiah will be a son of David who will sit on David's throne found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Jesus is no Levite. He is from the land of Judah. It's a different priesthood. And the writer says in verse 15, what is clearer still? <laughs> you mean any of this is clear? <laughs> What's clearer still? Yeah. This is what makes sense. Jesus, as our needed high priest, arises according to the slightness of Melchizedek, and then he says this, not because of a physical requirement, but because of the power of an indestructible life. Did Jesus die... Yes, he did. But what happened next? Jesus was raised to life. Jesus is victorious. Jesus is indestructible. Jesus is the victor. And actually, God the Father says of God the Son, way back in in Psalm 110, actually, he says, you're a priest forever, according to, to the order of Melchizedek. Even then, Jesus was going to be our priest. Even then, even in the book of Psalms, Jesus is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. Jesus is a better hope. Amen. And you see, on one hand, look at 18 and 19, the law made nothing perfect. See, we have to fly through this whole chapter. (laughs) But on the other hand, There is a bringing in of a better hope, thanks be to God, in Jesus. 
one through which we are able to draw near to God. And see, if we begin to understand basically this job description of Jesus, what does this mean and why does it matter? Because it it oversteps how we might feel when we wake up in the middle of the night on Thursday wondering what is going on with my life. And Amen. We remember that Jesus is on the throne and Jesus is functioning as a high priest for you and me today. Amen. And he's going to be functioning as that high priest next week. Next Sunday when I remind you of the same thing. The fact that, that Jesus is working for your good. He's interceding for you as a high priest today. He sits at the right hand of his Father. And he's praying for you today. He's praying for me today. Not about how we feel. Our feelings are important. We're having a bad day. We're having a bad night. We're having a bad week. We're having a bad year. But ultimately, Jesus is working for our good. Whether we remember it or not. Mm. He's better. He's better. He's a hope. He's a better hope, but he's a hope with an oath. What, what does that mean? Well, look at 20. Where the Levites were priests without an oath, they were born into it. Jesus was designated as a priest with an oath from his Father. God the Father spoke an oath to his Son. The Lord has sworn an oath and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. It doesn't matter how you feel, folks. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter how confused I get. The reality is that you have a high priest who's working on your behalf because his father swore an oath to him. And we've seen in the last couple of weeks, God, it's impossible for God to lie. Jesus' job description. Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant, it says here in 22. Jesus fulfills this better contract regarding how we deal with sin. We've talked about contracts in here. We don't use the word covenant, but we understand contracts. We, we couldn't keep up our end of the contract with the law, so the Lord pays our end of the contract. That's pretty generous, I think. He pays our end of the contract with himself. God made flesh, Jesus his son. And the Lord has sworn an oath to the eternal ministry of Jesus and the eternal nature of this covenant. I like, look at, look at, look at 23. There were lots of former priests, in essence. Why? Well, priests are men, and what happened? All men die. And the role is passed down over and over and over because the, these Levitical priests, it's a, family, it's a family business. And so it's passed down because of the, the, what the law says and the 12 tribes and the Levites have this and this is their job forever. And so on, it's passed down the family line. But they all die off because they're men. But Jesus, look at 24... On the other hand, because Jesus continues forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. And because he lives forever, look at 25. 
Therefore He is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through Him. Amen. He's able to save you and me forever if we draw near to God through Jesus. Since Jesus always lives to make intercession for them, for you and for me, this morning He's making intercession for you. Jesus, this, this Bible teacher Peterson says about Jesus, he's this mediator of a new covenant or contract. The better promises on which it's based, it's eternal in effect. It's eternal in its operation. Grandma, my great-grandma had a Frigidaire fridge. It ran, I think, from about night, summer of 1942 until she died in 86. That's a pretty good operation for a fridge. I bought a new one in 2010. It lasted three years. Yeah, it had all the bells and whistles. Ran, it stopped working a month after the warranty. Hmm. <laughs> but Jesus' ministry is an eternal operation. Jesus doesn't stop working for you. He doesn't stop working for me. And it says here that it's fitting for us to have Jesus as our high priest. Jesus is holy, he's innocent, he's undefiled, he's separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. And unlike the high priests, the, the Levites, they don't, who had to offer up daily sacrifices for themselves because they're human and they sin, and for God's people, they had to offer, operate and they had to offer sacrifices for themselves and also for God's people. Jesus doesn't have to do that. Why? Well, he did it once. Jesus did this once for all when he offered up himself. He took care of your sins and mine. Bang, then, on the cross. Last verse this morning says, The law appoints men as high priests who are weak. We're flesh and blood. But the word of the oath sworn by the Lord, which comes after the law, appoints a son. Jesus, the Son of God, what's that last, what's the last part of the verse say? Made perfect forever. Jesus, how is, how is he made perfect? This is how he was made a priest. You know, Melchizedek was this priest. Jesus had to be made a priest. How was he made a priest? Well, of course, God swore him in. But how did it happen? Philippians chapter 2. Paul says that, that Jesus, Christ Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted his Son and bestowed on Jesus this name which is above every name, a name under which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, that Jesus is Lord. Hebrews chapter 5 tells us that Jesus, having been made perfect, has become to all who would obey him the source of eternal salvation. There is that word again, eternal. Jesus has learned obedience through his suffering. Jesus, the sinless God, now made perfect, becomes our high priest. And, Je and Hebrews chapter 5 verse 10 says that Jesus has been designated by God as a high priest 
Kind of like Melchizedek, but better. He's better. Jesus, like Melchizedek, is a king and a priest. He's a merciful and a faithful high priest for you and me. He's perfect. He's been made perfect now. But what's the big difference between Jesus and this man of mystery, Melchizedek? Jesus is not only king and priest, but he's also the sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice for you and for me on the cross. And because of what he did on the cross, his suffering, he is the source of eternal salvation for you and for me. He's better and he's greater. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. What does this mean and why does it matter? What does this mean and why does it matter? We have the tendency to base our understanding of Jesus and to base our understanding of the things of God on our feelings. On our opinions. The opinions of our character. Or or maybe our sense of fairness. We try to understand God's character through our own. And what happens when we begin to cast the Lord in our image, that's idolatry. The Lord's ways are higher than ours. Amen. But see, we forget that. Naturally, we don't base our understanding of Jesus on his word. You see, we have lots of questions about lots of things, don't we? And there are lots of unanswered questions and thoughts which, depending on the voices to whom we are listening, and most of the time, there are voices most of the time that agree with us. There are lots of unanswered questions and thoughts that can frame, if we're not careful, can frame an an inaccurate picture, an inaccurate picture of God. And a warped picture of Jesus. If we base it on our opinions. But, if we focus on what we do know from his word. This is all he's given us. If we can focus on what we do know from his word... And if we begin to build our understanding about God, about Jesus, about salvation, with the information, hello, that we do have, the scripture which the Lord has given us, and not our human experience or wisdom passed down from a beloved relative, but we base our faith and our trust on what this actually says, You know what we're going to find out about these unanswered questions? That the Lord really does point to the answers to our questions. But they're going to be found in the truth of Him and His Word. That's what that means and that's why it matters. Pray with me. Lord, this morning, in a, in a very, I think, probably one of the most difficult chapters in the whole of Scripture. In 20 minutes, breaking 
language down that just really, just, it's just foreign and weird to us. Why does it matter? Yes, you, you wrote it. It matters. It, it came from you. It matters. That should be into the argument. But the fact remains that, that it points to who Jesus is and why he came. Regardless of how we might feel or how we might think, or the truth of the matter remains that Jesus has come to take our sins upon himself. It's a transactional function. Takes our sin upon himself and he gives us the righteousness to stand before a holy God. And it's not based on our goodness or our nobleness or the fact we are sinners and we have been given a Savior who's gone to the cross for us and has become our high priest advocating for us. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for him today. Father, we're thankful for Jesus as our, as our king, one who has prophesied, prophesied to us, one who is our king and one who is our high priest. We're thankful for Jesus today. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.